In the name of one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen. Today we hear two great stories, two of our greatest stories. The first about David, King David, who is one of those paragon examples of the way we are to be in the world. And then again, in our gospel lesson, a story about Jesus calming the wind and the waves, one that we likely know pretty well. So I'm going to take those two stories and play with them together. First, a little context for David. So last week, we heard about the anointing of David, and then this week, we hear the story after David fights Goliath. So we missed sort of some good action there, but something that we probably know pretty well. So David is anointed to be the next king, not quite the king yet. Saul is still alive, except Saul has not been doing very well, and so God told Samuel to go find someone else. And so David has been anointed, and David comes in and begins to draw too much attention. They go out to fight the Philistines, and the Philistines have a huge champion, Goliath, and nobody wants to fight Goliath except David. And that moment when David chooses to fight Goliath is one that we often hold up as something amazing, right? The little guy beats the big guy, and we like that story. Except if you put yourself in David's shoes, it's an amazing choice to go put your life at risk, to go put your life in danger, to do something without any guarantee of reward. See, we know how the story ends, and so it sounds like a great story. But in the moment, he makes a choice that makes no sense at all, that is truly countercultural against every conventional wisdom to go out and fight this giant of a man. And why? Because he has faith in God, has faith that he has a task to perform and that God will be with him as he goes and does this incredibly impossible thing and in the end will glorify God because of it. And so the story we get today follows that excellent story so that David is now getting a little too much attention. And Saul does not like the attention David is getting. Saul likes the way things are. Saul has some power. It is predictable. And David has been thrown in like a wrench in the middle of his mechanics. And Saul does not like that at all. And so Saul begins to plot to kill David. Saul begins to plot to undo the work that God is doing because Saul likes the way things are. Now fast forward to the gospel lesson. Jesus has been working hard. Jesus is already at this point in the gospel walking around and teaching and preaching and drawing crowds together. And the bottom line is he's just exhausted. He needs to get away for a minute. And so the disciples take Jesus onto a boat and they sail out into the Sea of Galilee, which you've likely heard me say before is really just one big lake. And this big lake in the middle of mountains is a lake that is a little unpredictable with its weather. Storms can come up fast. And that's what happens here. Jesus, exhausted, goes to take a nap in the back of the boat and a storm comes up. And the waves are tossing this little fishing boat back and forth and back and forth, swamping the boat. And the disciples are terrified that they're going to drown. And all the while, Jesus is just asleep. And so they go back to Jesus and they say, what 
are you doing? Do you not see us dying right here? And Jesus comes up and he just waves his hand and the storm calms. And he says, why are you afraid? Have you no faith? That kind of indictment, particularly held up against someone like David, this boy with huge faith, probably hurts. Scripture tells us all the time not to be afraid. And that sounds good, something you put on a coffee mug. But we know in our lives that we are reminded daily, weekly, just how hard the world can be. We're reminded of that pain and that heartbreak. We're reminded of being uncertain about what to do in the face of that kind of darkness over and over again. And do not be afraid really sounds pie in the sky. But you see, we're also told not to hold on to what has always been. That may be the most Episcopalian lesson that we can draw from today's readings. Saul begins to be an agent against the purposes of God because he just likes the status quo. You see, as Episcopalians, we believe that the Spirit's still at work. We don't believe that God has come and done everything and we're just rolling. We believe God's here with us, pushing us and pulling us and prodding us and leading us into something new, into something better, guiding us into a future that is not just like it has always been, but a future that can be better, a future where we have faith, that God is with us every step of the way and guiding us to something better. This redemptive work that God is doing in the world is something that we believe in so strongly here at St. Michael that we call ourselves a big tent. A big tent not because we like a circus, but a big tent because everyone is welcome. And not just everyone, like the kind of people everyone we like, but everyone is actually welcome here to struggle and to wrestle, to be pushed and pulled and molded by God into God's purpose, to be God's people in the world. Now, it's true that we all try to do our best. I truly believe that we all try to do the best we can any given day. But human nature is such that we like to be part of a group. We want to belong, to be connected. We like to know that we're not alone in anything that we do. And every week seems to challenge us, sometimes even more than the last, to be part of some group that the world has defined. But when we are challenged to be part of what the world wants us to be, when we question the opinions that we hold that pits us against one another, I want us to feel God's pull to something better than that. See, that sense of belonging, that need that we have to be connected can begin to drive us apart if we're not careful. But instead, I don't want us to feel like we're part of a group that the world defines. I want you to know that you are part of the group right here under this big tent that God defines. It is the unity of purpose 
that we have here, the unity of this group, where we have faith that God is not done with us, and that no matter what the world throws at us, we will face that stuff together. We can be the light in the darkness together. And if we respond to God's pull to be better tomorrow than we are today, if we respond to God's pull to be better than this world would have us think we can be, to be better than what the world expects of us, to define every action, every action, by the grace and love that we have received from God. This past week, I heard a radio review of the new documentary, Won't You Be My Neighbor? This is the documentary, the biopic about Fred Rogers, and I have not seen this movie. But I definitely watched Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood when I was a kid. And so I loved hearing these stories about Fred Rogers, what he believed, and the choices that he made to start this TV show. In this review, one producer says, if you take all the elements that make good television and do the exact opposite, you have Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Low production value, a very simple set, and an unlikely star, and yet it worked. So I heard this review, and I also heard them say that all the old episodes were available to stream online, so of course I ran home to do a little experiment. I grabbed my own five-year-old, who has only ever watched those highly colorful, very stimulating shows for children right now. And I said, I'm gonna show you a show. And so we sat down and I pulled it up on Amazon and she immediately saw the logo and she went, oh, no, I don't wanna watch this because it looks old. And so as the show started, she kind of looked, what, what is this? And the music started and I could tell it had her attention and within 30 seconds, she was frozen and glued to the show. And Fred took an old oats container and a milk carton and went out to the sand table and said, what could we do with this oats container? And she immediately said, a tunnel. And he said, how about a tunnel? And put the thing on, the, and she was absolutely captivated. And at the end of the show, turned to me and said, please dad, can we watch another one? What is it about that show? What is it that has captured generations? I think the answer is very simply, he is one of the best examples of what it means to live a life defined by love. At the end of the little two and a half minute preview I saw online, Rogers has a quote that says, the greatest thing that we can do is to help somebody know that they're loved and capable of loving. Y'all, this Christian life is not easy. We're not called into something that is easy to do every day. We hear story after story every Sunday of people either living with the faith or being challenged by their lack of faith just like us. Each week we are faced with a darkness that can overwhelm us, 
with issues that can divide us, and yet we are called to define ourselves by love. We are called to have faith in a life with limitless possibilities provided to us by God, where faith, hope, and love are present every step of the way. So when things get tough, when life gets hard, when our hearts get broken and we think that the darkness is too strong for any one of us, I want you to remember that the greatest gift we have is that we can be the light of love in the darkest places of our world. That what defines us here is the strength that will sustain us out there. Be the light this world needs. Act only with love at the core, and we will change the world. Amen.